Welcome to CPF Firewire, a podcast from California professional firefighters where we discuss a wide range of issues affecting firefighters, our unions, our families, and the communities we serve. Hello and welcome to the CPF Firewire. I'm Brian Rice, president of the California Professional Firefighters. Uh, with me today is Mike Fye, CPF's EMS and Health and Safety Director. Mike, welcome. Thanks, Brian. Happy to be here. And today we're going to talk with two of our brother firefighters and their partners. Uh, they've experienced the COVID-19 pandemic firsthand. Their stories are real world and they have some really powerful messages for our members, their families and the communities that we protect. Uh, joining us today to share their story about just how serious COVID-19 is for all of us are Dave and Stacy Baker. Dave is a fire captain with the City of Anaheim Fire Department. Dave is a 28-year veteran. Dave spent most of June in the hospital with COVID-19, including 11 of those days in a coma and on a ventilator. Uh, Stacy Baker is Dave's wife of 14 years. She has her own COVID-19 story to tell uh, as a wife, a mother, a caregiver, and a patient. Dave and Stacy, we're honored to have you join us today on the CPF Firewire. Thank you. We're honored Thank to you. be here. We always like to start these um, as conversations. Um, a little bit about your journey as a firefighter. Dave, in your case, I've seen you before I ever met you. <laughs> in, interesting enough, Dave started in 1993 and uh, became instantly known, an instant celebrity uh, in the fire service. Uh, Dave was the model for a famous painting uh, of a firefighter shaking hands with Mickey Mouse. Dave, how did... How, how did that come about? Well, if uh, you remember back in uh, 93, uh, that's when Laguna Beach burned. Uh, and then right after that, Malibu burned, and they called it the firestorm of 93. So Disneyland um, decided to make a painting as a thank you to the fire service. And um, I was a newly hired rookie, so uh, I was pretty fresh in the, the chief's mind and he, he, they, uh, Disneyland came to him and said, hey, uh, we, we need a guy to, to model for this painting. And they said, we need a tall guy to contrast the short mouse. And the chief said, I, I just hired the guy. No problem. So when the chief calls you up and says, hey, I need you to do this uh, as a rookie, you're going to say, of course, you know, and didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal and, until it became a very big deal. And the rest is history, I guess. I know it's still it's it's amazing because that still is um, it's an iconic an iconic fire service uh, painting and print and if you remember uh, Disneyland I believe after the firestorm there they they opened up to to firefighters and other uh, public safety and I if I remember correctly I think there was a little like a pendant that you wore that that's what um, that's what got you and your family into Disneyland I I think I'm right I could be a little off but. Yeah, yeah. Quite a story. Yeah, that was weird when we went to mm -hmm. see everybody wearing a pendant with me on it. <laughs> and 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 the thing is, no, none of us knew it. Yeah. So, hey, you've been on the job for 28 years. What what makes this job special to you? What brought you to this job? Um, well, I'm the first firefighter in the history of my family, so um, I really couldn't see me doing anything else. I I've loved all 28 years, and I think the thing that, I mean, there's so many special things about the fire service that I enjoy, but I think the thing I enjoy the most is it provided me the opportunity to, to teach, and uh, I, I really enjoy teaching, and I taught at uh, Santa Ana College for uh, over 25 years in the Basic Fire Academy, and then I taught a lot of the rescue classes over the years, so I've had the opportunity to, to see people succeed and get hired and promote and just enjoy the career that I've enjoyed. And I think that's the thing that I like to see the most is people capturing their dreams of getting hired. And, mm -hmm. you know, if I could be a small part of that, uh, that's, that's good enough for me. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. I'll almost bet we, cause I was my last years as a captain, I was um, on our, our heavy rescue company um, in Sacramento at Metro fire. So I'm, I'll almost bet we've crossed trails on the training ground o over these years and, and probably haven't really even realized it. Well, probably. And then plus I'm on our, our union board. So I, then, we, then we, yes, we, we have crossed trails. Yeah. Um, I voted for you. <laughs> 
Thank you. <laughs> uh, hey, Stacy, you and Dave have a family. You guys have four kids. Um, two of them are still at home with you. Um, when the coronavirus hit, what did you make of it? We know as firefighters that, that the job has risks. Did this, you know, as it was starting, hit you as a different kind of risk? Or as it, as it came up, did it change your thinking about when Dave goes to work? How did it manifest with you as uh, COVID and the, and the, the shelter-in-place began to, to take effect? You know, to be honest with you, I, I think I was pretty much like a lot of people are right now where I didn't take it as seriously as I should have. Um, I didn't know anybody personally that had been affected. Um, I really just think that we thought it was overblown and, you know, wasn't going to affect us and really didn't give it a second thought until it hit our family personally. Dave, when did you first get a sense that that you may have gotten COVID-19 and, and at what point did 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 it really that switch flip on that hey this is this is really serious well i didn't i was didn't really feel sick or anything until uh well i first found out that one of our guys tested positive so they were doing some back tracing to see how many people he had been around and uh and i was like oh man that that's a bummer and i'm like oh wait a second i i was around that guy so i went in and got tested on the first got my results on the third and was really, you know, okay for the first couple of days, but then started spiraling downward quickly. And, uh, I was in the hospital by the morning of the seventh, um, got upgraded to the ICU. And then, um, and then they, the doctors had the foresight to, to put me in the coma and try and stay ahead of it. And, uh, so I, I, I spiraled downward pretty quick. So it was really an, you, you knew you knew you had an exposure on the first and and by the seventh you were either in or on your way to the hospital and, and that whole that whole journey started. Yeah, I was admitted on the seventh and I knew my exposure the first is a Monday and my exposure uh, to uh, my coworker was the previous week. So uh, I found out over the weekend that he had tested positive so. I went in first thing Monday morning uh, and got tested. And then we soon realized that I had been around my wife and kids. So they went in and got tested and ended up positive as well. Stacy, did, did you have access to him while he was there or was he quarantined? And, and then, of course, it, you test positive. What was that like for your family? How did you deal with it? You know, you're sick yourself. And, and let's, let's all not mince word. We all know that the women in our our lives are way stronger than we are, especially Absolutely. as caregivers. That that is just a fact. How did that hit you? Um, it was incredibly difficult. David actually was admitted to the hospital on the morning of our daughter's thirteenth birthday. Our youngest was asymptomatic, so I didn't really have to worry about him as far as caretaking. Our thirteen-year-old had mild symptoms for about three or four days. I didn't feel as bad as Dave did when he was admitted to the hospital, but by the time he was on a ventilator, I was afraid that I was also going to have to go to the hospital. And I was really concerned about who was going to take my children who also had COVID. So I had about three really scary days that I felt I might end up at the same, same position. Um, I wasn't allowed to have any visitation or anything like that at the hospital. The staff was absolutely wonderful. They were FaceTiming me, um, allowing me to see what they were doing with him when he was in a coma. They were holding an iPad up to his ear at night so the kids could say goodnight to their dad. Um, just really keeping me as informed and possible, as possible. Uh, Dave's doctors were, every time I got a phone call, they were asking me, how are you feeling? What are your vitals? What are your symptoms like? Is there anything we can do for you? So they really went above and beyond, I think, to make us feel like, we could be as present as possible, but I mean, when you're in the situation that we were in and you're completely separated, you're quarantined at home, so your family can't come visit you, nobody can do anything for you other than via phone, uh, it's, it's a really tight spot to be in. And Stacy, you got two kids at home, you have a husband that not only is in the hospital, but in the ICU, you're sick yourself. God bless you for being able to manage that household 
and and everybody there. And I'm I'm just going to ask, and it's awkward, but Dave, was there ever a point that you thought you weren't going to make it? And and Stacy, did did you ever think you were going to lose them? Uh, I did 100. percent In fact, I asked the doctor when they put him on the ventilator. I said, "Which way do you think this is going to go?" And they said they they weren't sure that he was going to be able to pull through it. So I 100% thought the entire time he was on a ventilator that he would never come home again. It is a huge unknown. And Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that really struck me kind of reading and trying to pay attention was what what an unknown this is with this virus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And the, the worst part is, and we were just talking about this yesterday, we don't know the long-term health effects because there are no long-term um, studies. studies done. Yes. You know, so um, this is, they're, they're just learning more and more about this every day. And it's just, it's tough because you don't know how your body's going to respond. You know, everybody's body's different. I have a, a friend of mine, he's a OCFA battalion chief and, and he got it. And uh, his was a mild case. He quarantined and made it through and had no, no problems, but, uh, you just don't know how your body's going to respond. I mean, it doesn't matter the age, you know, you look at that 30 year old guy in Texas that went to the COVID party and he just died. Yeah. You know, there's people younger than that that are dying. So, uh, there's just so many unknowns. It's amazing that where we are in the 21st century, that medically we would, Dave, you just said it. There's so many unknowns. Now you've been out of the hospital about a week, correct? Yes. How are you doing, Stacy? How are you doing, and and the family? How's everyone doing in recovery? Not just physically, but but there's also a, a a mental health part of this too. How are you guys doing, and what do you see as potential things that you may need to address address as part of the physical and um, the emotional recovery with this? Um, well, for me and the kids, we have finally tested COVID negative. <laughs> So we're celebrating that. Um, physically, we're good. I still can't smell or taste anything. Um, but I think the emotional, you touched on it. I, I don't think I processed anything at all as it was happening in real time. And this is a whole nother level now that he's home with us is readjusting and kind of dealing with with the emotional strain and stress of going through what we've gone through. Um, I think we're just sort of trying to scratch the surface of all of those moving parts that are kind of going to reassimilate and life's going to go back to normal. But I mean, there's just been so much that we we've gone through that. I think we have to just work day by day to try and get back to real life, you know, and, and wrap our heads around what we've been through. Yeah. For me, it was, it's not too bad. Cause I was asleep. You know, she was living it every day, every night, uh, dealing with all the things that she had to deal with on a day-to-day basis. That's where you kind of hit the nail on the head of our wives are way stronger than we are because I don't know if I could have done what she did. Yep. No, I do know. I agree. So you're, you're recovering um, and in a good, a good spot of recovery. Any sense from you? I mean, you're probably like all firefighters. Everybody I've ever known that, that either went through an illness or an injury, the first thing as a union guy they ever asked me is, when can I go back to work? You know you, Stacy knows you better than anybody. We all know medically, you know, they can say, oh, you'll be back to work in this amount of time. You lived this, Dave and Stacy. How long do you think a recovery will take you? Well, it, it's, it's going to be a while. Um, physically, um, lost 40 I, I lost 40 pounds. Um, a lot of my muscle mass is gone. So I got to build, I get short of breath real easy. So it's a matter of trying to build up my strength and my stamina, but it's not just physical, it's mental too. I mean, COVID messes with your brain. Your brain is just another muscle that you have to exercise and to stay sharp and crisp and clean, you know, I have to do brain exercises, you know, because um, it just, it's messed with my brain and my my memory's messed up and uh, a lot of, a lot of different things that you don't really even think about. So it's not just physical, it's, it's mental as well. I'm going to click over to Mike Fye, our health and safety director, and, and let Mike close us up. Some of the stuff that we continue to hear from our members, it's, you know, this isn't that serious. It's just like the flu. Um, can you kind of give us your feelings about what, how do you guys feel about that? 
It's nothing like the flu. (laughs) Yeah, I've had the flu and it never put me in a coma. Um, Yeah, it's like I said before, everybody's body's different. You don't know how your body's going to respond to that, but you don't want to count on mild symptoms. You know, we had mild symptoms for the first few days and, and then it turned and it turned quickly. So it's definitely nothing to mess around with. In certain departments, everybody's kind of getting numb. They're starting to lose their vigilance about some of the protections and stuff like that, using the proper PPE, actually following the protocols that were set in place. Do you think your experience, what you guys have gone through, has affected the Anaheim Fire Department, all the brothers and sisters that work down there? Have you seen a change in the the department as a whole? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I spoke with the fire chief and... um, Uh, Before, I mean, when we go on calls, everybody was wearing their PPE, doing everything we were supposed to. Uh, We weren't really wearing it in the stations, but now um, they they are. Uh, They're wearing masks. They're practicing distancing. uh, They're they're washing their hands more. They're doing all the things that will help slow the spread. I mean, we're still taking chances going on calls and doing all of that, but they definitely stepped up their game with regards to PPP, uh, PPE, you know, with the doors up and the doors down since myself and the other captain got put in the hospital. The one thing that we're trying to drive home to our, all, all our members here in the state of California, and so if you could just reiterate it for me, for those of them out there that are wondering how seriously we should be taking this, what message would you like to send them from both of you? I just like to say, <laughs> this is this is real. It's not a hoax. It's not a anything but a, a very real virus that's very dangerous that we know very little about. You know, when I came on in the early '90s, we were still putting our bunkers by our bedside to get dressed real quick in the middle of the night. But you know, obviously, we don't do that anymore. And there's a lot of other things that we don't do anymore. And I think we're living in a time where we need to seriously look at how we conduct ourselves uh, in and out of the station with regards to this virus, because we need to make sure that we're doing the right thing. You know, you have so many people complaining about wearing a mask is taking away their freedom, but how much freedom do you have being in a coma? So uh, you need to really look at it and make sure that you're taking the precautions. It's not too much to ask, you know, wear your mask, practice social distancing and wash your hands. Those three simple things can greatly reduce the chance of any of any firefighters getting this. Well, I think people need to realize that they don't know the long-term effects. So you might have a mild case of COVID, but you can have long-term effects that can affect the rest of your life. It, COVID attacks every single organ in the body, and they're just learning about all of the repercussions of it. So people might get a mild case and think, oh, I'm good. I beat it. I got the antibodies now, but you don't know what's going to happen to your body in the future. Dave and Stacy, it's Brian again. I just, um, on behalf of every firefighter in the state of California, your brothers and sisters, we love you guys. We are with you guys. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, I'm just going to have to believe it wasn't necessarily the easiest thing to do. And I know that the Anaheim firefighters are there for you, and um, you can go to the bank on this. The California professional firefighters are there for you. Thank you guys very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Mike. We're now joined by another Anaheim firefighter who's had to deal with the very real effects of COVID-19. Joe Aldeco is a fire captain with the Anaheim Fire Department. Uh, He's been on the job for 19 years. And most recently as a captain, a truck captain on truck one at station one in downtown Anaheim. Uh, like Dave Baker, Joe spent about a month in the hospital dealing with the effects of COVID-19. Uh, he only recently got out and joining Joe today is his girlfriend, Nikki Jackson, um, who also became ill with COVID-19. Nikki works in the grocery industry, uh, which we all know is another essential service. And Joe and Nikki, thank you for joining us on the CPF Firewire. Well, thank you for having us. Uh, Joe, you've been a firefighter for almost 20 years. What got you into the fire service and, and what makes this job special? Well, I got in a little later when I was uh, my late 20s. But growing up, most guys that are in their 40 to 50 range, watching emergency, 
that kind of, you know, enticed me about wanting to do something uh, in service, public service. Both have two brothers that were involved in law enforcement. And my being the youngest, seeing what my brothers were doing, wanted to do something different. And was fortunate enough to get hired with the uh, department that I was working as an ambulance operator before getting hired with the department. So it's very special for me. It's a sense of satisfaction knowing that you have an opportunity to make a difference in somebody's life. Your station, Station One, is in downtown Anaheim. So I imagine as a truck captain, you can get pretty busy. When the first reports of COVID started coming in, what did you make of it? And were there additional precautions set up? To be honest, when uh, coronavirus was starting to come up on our radar, I was out on a knee injury. I just had a arthroscopic surgery on my right knee and um, was watching everything that was coming through on the news about the uh, this new virus. Kept up with every, all the messages coming in from work and policy changes and whatnot. When I returned to work, which is in uh, late April, all those policies were already implemented. Temperature checks, uh, morning, evening, and next morning when we got off shift, anybody with a temperature above 100 was to report that to uh, the on-duty battalion chief and sent home. Uniforms were kept down on the apparatus bay. Station was supposed to be uh, decontaminated twice a day and the apparatus after each call. So it was taken very seriously by the time I got back. It took me a little bit of time just to figure out, okay, what are we doing here? Because this was all new to me. On calls, it was uh, putting on our N95 goggles, gowns, face shield if needed, and listening to our dispatch because they were letting us know which calls were COVID, possibly COVID-related. So a lot of changes that were uh, that were implemented by the time I got back. Nikki, you work in the grocery industry, uh, which, as we said, is another essential industry. And you're in a relationship with a frontline firefighter. What was your level of concern, and did you take precautions right away? In March, when it hit, you know, it was kind of unreal. I mean, I have almost 20 years, you know, with the grocery industry. And I run an entire district for the bakery department. And so I actually, you know, I hit 24 stores. And for me, in the beginning, I didn't really think it was something to be really concerned about. I mean, we didn't really know much about it. And then all of a sudden, it was like World War Three hit in these stores. It was something that I've never seen in my life. You know, it was it was a huge impact on the grocery industry. I mean, I know even to this day, we're still struggling to get the, the shelves filled up. Um, the lines were wrapped around the building, like something I've never seen in my entire career. It was a really scary ordeal, in my opinion. And it did take the the grocery stores uh, quite some time to, you know, make sure that we had the hand sanitizer on hand um, to make sure that, you know, gloves and face masks. It took a while before face masks actually got provided for the associates. I think it just all happened so quickly that they didn't really get enough time to react to what was going on. Now, I mean, precautions, we stress them on a daily basis to everybody. We're doing really well with that now, and the grocery stores are doing much better. So, Joe, do you have a sense of when and how you may have gotten COVID-19, and and when did you know it was going to be something really bad? I work on a uh, paramedic truck company. I'm, a, I'm also a paramedic. Uh, one of my, my firefighters is also paramedic, so we're uh, we're partners. We have a couple of uh, skilled nursing facilities in our first in. When I went back to work in uh, April, we weren't going to these facilities uh, very often. By the time late May came along, it seemed like it was a daily occurrence of going on uh, COVID-related calls at these uh, nursing facilities. With the amount of PPE we were wearing, decontaminating the uh, rig, the only thing I could really think of was uh, we use iPads for uh, doing our patient care reports. And those iPads kind of get overlooked as far as cleaning up. The department went back to look at all the calls and they traced it back to an incident probably around late May sometime. But like I said, it was every shift we were going on these calls. Um, so it's really hard to pinpoint where and when, but that my theory was with the iPad. I didn't think, you know, cause I was hearing a lot of people, older people were getting sick at that time, uh, having to be hospitalized. I had pretty healthy exercise and uh, stay in shape. So I, I didn't really think much about it as, you know, it's going to be flu-like symptoms, maybe a little worse, but I thought I would be able to get by. Obviously I wasn't. Nikki? How did you, how, how did this, how did this come about with you? 
Um, well, I went on a date with Joe. <laughs> Um, let's see. Uh, we ended up going out to lunch and on a Saturday, it was the 30th of May. He actually had gone home. He got off shift and called me and had said, you know, Hey, I have a really bad headache. I think I'm going to go home and take a nap for a little while. Um, I, he already clearly was showing some form of a symptom. Didn't really think much of it. I just figured he had a long night at work that he needed to go home and take a you know couple hour nap. And then we would go to lunch. Anyway, he shows up and he just didn't look real good, but he still wanted to go out to lunch and have a drink and spend some time together. And we did, and we were out for a couple of hours and uh, that's when he got the call that, it, you know, another gentleman in, in the fire department, he, you know, tested positive so that Joe needed to quarantine. And to be honest with you, that's when it got really real for me. Um, I'm a, you know, a mother to a nine-year-old. I have older parents and it just, it kind of sunk in and it got real. I mean, it just, it really freaked me out. And, you know, we hurried up, we got, we left where we were, got him home, got me home, got my daughter home. And then within the next day or two, uh, Joe was like full blown symptom pretty much. By Tuesday after our date, which was from Saturday to Tuesday, I had full blown symptoms. So it, it really didn't take very long um, for it to catch on with me. So th that's when I knew it was it was pretty bad. Nikki, you didn't get hospitalized, correct? Correct. No, I didn't. Um, by the time I actually showed symptoms, I worked on Monday and then Tuesday morning, I woke up and it, it was, it was like hell on wheels. I mean, it was, it was a pretty gnarly experience for me. And, you know, by that time, Joe was already in the hospital. So it, it was, um, it was, it was amazing. Let me tell you, it was a very scary thing, but no, thank God I did not get hospitalized. Joe, I'm going to go back over to you. When did you realize this is going to be really bad and I need to go to the hospital. And, and I, I just got to ask, did you, was there ever a moment that you didn't think you were going to pull through this? By Monday, I'd already had a low grade fever and, um, uh, some pretty good body aches. Uh, I went to go get tested that day. And, uh, by Tuesday I was starting to have a little bit of shortness of breath. Talked to my, uh, EMS director. He, told me let's get me to uh, UCI when I which is uh the medical center I was hospitalized at I got my results that I was positive they did a, a chest x-ray and blood work and my lungs looked pretty clear at that point there was no indication of any fluid in my lungs or anything and they decided to send me home and just be able to quarantine and recover at home uh Wednesday I felt okay and by Thursday the 4th um I laid in bed uh, I couldn't stop shivering. My body was hurting. I had a terrible headache. My temperature had reached 105. And it wow. uh, would really kind of freak me out. And I was staying at my buddy's house. So I asked him to take me to the hospital. I started coughing up blood. They did a chest x-ray then. And in a matter of two days, my lungs were completely white uh, from the fluid buildup. So they had admitted me pretty quick. Spent one day on the floor and then straight up to the ICU. I was really scared. I, I had my doubts that, and was questioning what I would I be able to get out of here. I was seeing a lot of people on ventilators. I know that came up. Uh, they put me on high flow oxygen. It was pretty much a cannula blowing like what felt like 50 liters a minute blowing through my nose. But that actually worked for me because the next step would have been put, being put on a ventilator. So you avoided being put on a ventilator even, even with the conditions that your lungs were in. Correct. And I, I think that the treatment just differs from hospital, hospital, doctor to doctor, because my SATs were dropping into the 70s and um, minimal movement, just shifting in my bed, my SATs would drop really low. I mean, in the field, a 70 an O2 SAT in the 70%, that's a code three ride to the hospital. Oh yeah, well, probably with a CPAP on. Joe, I want to switch over to Nikki a little bit. Nikki, while all this was going on, what was going through your mind? You, you know, I know both of you have kids, you have kids, and, and Joe's in the hospital. What, how was that for you? What was going on in your mind? Let's see. Well, you know, my daughter, I sent her with my parents. So, you know, I was alone by myself, pretty sick. I mean, I, I would have to say that I was terrified just for myself of just not knowing, you know, the uncertainty for myself. 
and then I have Joe, you know, who were FaceTiming, he could barely talk. And I mean, it was, it was horrible. I mean, it was, it was pure tears. Once he went into ICU, it just, it was a, a downward spiral from there for me super sick. Um, and I didn't even really care about myself. I mean, I was here alone trying to get through it by myself. And my concern was, is, oh my gosh, this could be like the last time that I honestly see his face. To me, that was, that was a really hard thing to look at, at him on, on a phone and just, you know, just imagining that this could be the last time I talked to him. For me, it, it was, it was just a really rough experience. It was rough on my daughter Um, you know, she had to be with my parents for 17, she was there for 17 days straight. You know, they would come to my house and drop groceries off for me at my door. And, you know, they, I'd be able to peek through the window. And and this is a little girl that, you know, is inseparable from me. So it was really hard on my family. It was really hard on myself, more or less for me, because I I knew that Joe was in a really bad spot. Just watching him, I I think was the scariest part for me. amongst the whole thing. I'm just glad it ended up the way it did. Joe, how about your family, your kids? How did everybody do through this? With far as my children, you know, they live with their uh, mom. We share custody. I kind of kept them in the dark. You know, I really didn't want them to see me the way I was, but I would call them. I I would call them on a regular basis. I would tell them I was sick, let them know, hey, I was in the hospital. I'm going to be okay. But I wouldn't let let in on them, you know, how I was and how I was really feeling. I didn't see um, I didn't see my kids for over a month uh, being in the hospital and um, waiting a couple of weeks after I got out just to regain some of my strength. So that was difficult for me. As far as the rest of my family, they're all really concerned. I'm the youngest of five and uh, I was being called multiple times a day in FaceTime by all my siblings nieces, nephews, my father. And it was great, you know, this the technology of being able to at least FaceTime loved ones and talking on the phone. Uh, it made a big difference. A lot of friends from work, friends outside of work, they were all calling me, just trying to keep my spirits up. And uh, I consider that very helpful. And being able to, you know, FaceTime with Nikki and talk to each other where we're both sick. Those are all things that I, I know helped me get through it. You know, the thing about being in the hospital is just being by yourself, being quarantined and, um, you know, in a room by yourself. Um, the nurses coming in dressed like they're ready for space flight more than they are for patient care. And, uh, it's, it's a little demoralizing and, uh, kind of brings you down a bit. And just being able to talk to loved ones was, was the best thing as far as anybody else being, uh, getting the COVID immediately as soon as I found out, I let, um, my children's mom know that uh, I'm not going to be able to see them. And I told her why. And uh, so that's where it started for me. And I haven't seen my siblings or my dad in months anyway. Uh, I stayed away from them just because of my exposures at work. My dad's going to be 90, but definitely don't want to see him. So, you know, we talk on the phone. That's about the extent of it. So I'm going to I'm going to ask both of you, Joe, I'll go to you first. Give Nikki a little bit of time to think about this. It's actually pretty easy. Joe, you were in the hospital for about a month, correct? Yes. For both of you, physically, how are you doing now? And not just physically, mentally, because there's got to be a mental or a behavioral health component. And then we all know what doctors say. Um, about returning to work and all those things. And I've done this a long time, and any firefighter I've ever known that got injured or sick, one of the first things they always ask is, how soon can I go back to work? How long do you think it'll take before you're ready to, to look at your job and go, I'm ready to go back to work? For me, when I left the hospital, my lungs were still white. Uh, I spoke to my physician that uh, took care of me in the hospital. He actually called me. Uh, a couple of days ago, because um, he said a lot of his colleagues thought he was wrong by letting me go because I was still on six liters of oxygen when I left the hospital. There wasn't very much clearing up of my lungs. So when I got released, I came to Nikki's. She's been my uh, not only my girlfriend but also my caretaker. <laughs> when I was uh, when I first got released, it took me about a good five minutes just to climb up fourteen steps to get up to her apartment. It took a, it took a while just to kind of get comfortable. Um, being out of the hospital, you know, I was kind of, you know, I hated being in there, 
but also as a sense of like a security blanket, knowing that I was going to be in, I'm being watched over mentally, being depressed, being in there, anxiety, especially when you can't breathe. That anxiety really, really kicks up. Now that I'm out of the hospital, it's become a non-issue. Where I'm at right now physically is I'm six days being off the uh, supplemental oxygen. And I've been able to walk around stores, walk around outside without the use of the oxygen. So it's come a long, it's come a long way. But my stats will still drop if I overly exert myself. They'll drop into the 80s. But once I sit, they'll come back up again. I told my doctor where my progress was, and he was pretty surprised where I was at. He wants to do a case study on me. I still need to follow up with a pulmonologist to see what the long-term is going to be or possibly long-term, but uh, I'm feeling way, way better than I did. Nikki, how about you? How are you doing? Well, I've been back to work now for three weeks. I, I technically, I, I honestly will say, I, I think I, I needed to take some more time off. I don't know. I, I, I went and I retested prior to going back to work. It was not um, necessary to retest as long as you're symptom free for three days and fever free for three days. My job allows us to come back to work. And I did not think that was right. And I went and I retested. I wanted to see a negative test result prior to having my child around me and being around people in the grocery store. I didn't want to expose anybody. So I ended up retesting, came back with a negative test result, and I was back to work within, I believe, a day. So yeah. I've been back now three weeks, and I'll be really honest with you, I'm tired. Like, I can't even express to you how tired. I have, I would say, almost like insomnia at night. It, it's very weird. I, I don't know why. I don't know if it's maybe some anxiety, um, but I do have a really hard time sleeping and then I'm dragging, I mean, just all day long. And I mean, I'm 38 years old. I'm pretty energetic. I take good care of myself. And I just, I honestly don't feel the same yet. Um, my smell is still not even back 100%. You know, I, I don't really smell everything to the fullest yet. Slightly foggy in the head at times. And I, I do have some coworkers that say, I just, you know, I don't see myself yet. And I, I mean, I really, I honestly, for such a, I wouldn't really call it a mild case, but maybe a moderate case of this, uh, the, the lingering side effects are really taking me quite some time for them to um, disappear. So I'm just, I'm really looking forward to getting back to myself. I, I can't wait. <laughs> I'm going to let Mike Fye, um the CPF Health and Safety and EMS Director, finish up our time together. So Mike? Currently here in the state of California, again, we're seeing a resurgence of the, the virus. People are becoming complacent, uh, less vigilant as they were initially. You're hearing people on social media and everything saying, you know, it's just a flu. And I'd like to hear from both of you kind of what you think about that. A lot of people are look at the statistics of, if you look at the number of people who have the disease versus the uh, death rate, the flu has killed more people than this, this virus have. But to me, it's almost like uh, you're, you're rolling the dice with it. You don't know if you're going to get those, those mild symptoms or you're going to get it like uh, myself and Dave got it, where you end up being hospitalized. It's not worth the risk. Even if you do have mild symptoms or, or even asymptomatic, you're a carrier and you're going to make somebody else sick, someone else you care about, family member, friend, that is not is going to have, doesn't have the same immune system. Or is this going to be um, the person that gets the virus like me and, and Dave did, or even worse? Hopefully, people are starting to realize that this isn't a joke, but unfortunately, there's a large you know, group of people, large, I don't know if it's a minority or majority, that still think it's just the flu. But I can say firsthand, it definitely wasn't the flu. I've had the flu multiple times, and not once when I had the flu did I question if I was going to make it through it or not. What about you, Nikki? Uh, well, let's see. It, it definitely is not the flu. Um, you know, I think it's something that obviously we need to take very serious. I mean, for me, the scariest thing that, you know, I, I wish I could get people to realize is you could have the flu virus and you know you're sick. With with this, you can technically be carrying this and, and be passing it along to people and you show no symptoms. To me, that is 
the scariest thing about this, you're going to, you can get potentially get people sick and, and kill people just by carrying this. And you don't even know you have it when you could be carrying something that could potentially be deadly to others. And you don't even know you have it. I think it just really needs to be taken very seriously. People are dying from this and it, it's still some very large numbers that we shouldn't be seeing. So I just, I really wish I could I could get people to understand how serious this is. You know, I could have potentially have passed this along to my 9-year-old child who wouldn't put, maybe not even have shown symptoms and my parents who were in their 70s who babysit her, you know, she could have gotten them deathly ill without even showing symptoms. So I I just really wish that we could get people to really understand how serious this really is. Because it, it's it's not getting any better and it's not going away. I know the uh, impact of Dave and I being in the hospital uh, really opened up a lot of eyes uh, from the uh, from the fire chief on down. My thought is they're taking this very seriously, wearing their PPE, and um, they definitely want to avoid it because they could see what it can do. I know it's impacted my perspective. I could preach about wearing proper PPE and taking all the precautions necessary from here on out, because I know what it could do and experienced it firsthand. Now that both of you have kind of experienced this, what message do you have for everybody else, other listeners and stuff about taking this seriously? For my first responders out there, take that extra time uh, to wear the proper PPE, decontaminate after an incident, be extra vigilant out there because the one time that you that you aren't could be the time that you actually uh, catch this disease. Believe me, it's something you don't want to catch. For everyone else out there, it's you can't stress enough to take it seriously, but you're not going to get buy-in from everybody. Um, when I was in the hospital, one of the individuals that was hospitalized also for COVID was an individual that was protesting the wearing of masks. So it's definitely uh, in their best interest to take care of themselves because they're taking care of themselves. They're taking care of, of everyone else around them. Unfortunately, we're going to have those that don't believe in it and think that their right are more important than everybody else. And I have no clue on how to get through to those people, but hopefully the majority will take the proper precautions so we can get through all this and, you know, not have, uh, you know, the, those that we care about get sick from this. Really continue to practice social distancing. I mean, I I cannot stress that enough. Making sure your hands are washed constantly. I know I have become a complete germaphobe freak where, I mean, I'm spraying Lysol and I'm making sure that, you know, everybody's washing their hands properly. Um, I I think if we all do our part, this is eventually going to get better. I mean, Joe here, who, I mean, every time he walks out of the bathroom, I'm asking him, did you wash your hands? Like he's my child, but you know, it, it, I wash my hands. <laughs> it's just something that, you know, I think that we all, we just, we have to do it. We have no choice. I mean, it's either we do it or we're going to be in this mess for a long time. So I think if we all can come together and, and just do the right thing, um, eventually we're going to get this to disappear. We're going to be able to party again one day. There's no reason why we have to be so angry about things and all that will come again. We've just got to get through this and continue to do the right thing and social distance and proper hand washing and hygiene and all those things will help. Joe and Nikki, um, it's Brian again. On, on behalf of every California firefighter and, and your state organizo- organization, the California Professional Firefighters, thank you for sharing your time. Um, God bless you. God bless the Anaheim firefighters and the Anaheim fire family that rallied around you. We have your back. We're here and and we're here for all of our brothers and sisters. Just thank you again for your time. Absolutely. I'm glad that we could have this discussion. Rejoining me is Mike Fye, uh, Director of Health and Safety and EMS for the CPF. Mike, um, I know we just heard a lot from uh, Joe and Nikki and Dave and Stacy. As a health and safety director, what really struck you that um, you really want to drive home to our members. As we talked to Dave and Stacy and and Joe and Nikki, it was incredible for me just to to hear their story of strength and survival as they go through this. But I mean, they also they recap the some of the key things that we've been talking about the whole time with our members, which is you need to wash your hands, you need to wear a mask, 
you need to maintain six feet of distance between each other. Just those basic things can help to make a difference. And again, seeing their struggles and what they went through, I, I think that should drive this home to all our members. I know we're seeing a lot of back and forth on a lot of the issues, but those three basic things, Brian, can can make a huge difference. And it's not just about you as an individual, it's about your family and everybody that you impact as a firefighter. Right. And you, you know what, Mike, that both, um, one of the things that we was reiterated to us, and I want to kind of um, ask your thoughts on it. We go to work as firefighters, we get on duty, and uh, we have rules and regulations and things we follow. And especially with uh, the pandemic and COVID-19, um, they're PPE and distance properly, all those things that you just mentioned, um, how important is it that we as firefighters carry that into our off-duty life? I think it's hugely important, and I think they just drove it home to everyone. You know, washing your hands, wearing a mask when you're out, not just at the fire station, but when you're out and you're you're in public doing your day-to-day, you know, grocery shopping and those things, just being conscious of others is hugely important, allowing people to, you know, social distancing. It's just important at home to follow those rules as it is at work. As a firefighter, you have a responsibility, not just at work, but also out in the public, because how many of us have stickers on our cars? How many of us actually are out there in the public? The people that we know know we're firefighters. They come to us, they ask us questions about medical stuff at all all the time, you're out there, you're setting an example in public, and and you need to follow through, not just at work, but at home as well. I think that's a, we're going to reiterate that message before we're done. That's a strong message, and it needs to be said. One of the other ones, I was talking to uh, John Bagula, president of uh, Marin County uh, Professional Firefighters Local 1775. They're experiencing their own kind of hot spot um, with San Quentin. And what I want to talk about with you is the behavioral health aspect of this. And and one of the things that he said was it's not just the response to the calls, but all of the unknown that our members are dealing with. There's the economic unknown. There's, I mean, literally, there's the social media play into it. All these things cause stress in in not only our personal lives, but our professional lives. We have some families that there's a financial aspect to this. None of us want an economy to, to go down, but I don't think any of us want to want to see thousands of people dead. How important is it now, not just for firefighters, but their families to really take care of each other and the behavioral, the behavioral health component to the COVID-19 pandemic? What do you think? I, I, you know, I think it is huge, Brian. And, and we, again, we heard it from Dave and Stacy and Joe and Nikki, just their struggles, but on a day-to-day basis, our members are I mean, we're struggling with just these social issues and everything we have. Everybody's more on edge than I think they ever have been. And to to get some help, um, to reach out to other members of your department, to, to, to look into peer support, it, it's not a weakness. It, it's something that we all need to do. We're all interconnected. We need to to focus a little bit on that, too. I know we've addressed it um, with uh, the Healing Our Own website and linking that to all our stuff. We need to focus on that part of it, too. I mean, it's not just about the the physical signs and symptoms, but about the, the mental health and behavioral health aspect of this disease that we're going through. You know, as I was sitting there listening, you, you really you brought up something to me. There really is a, a greater magnification now with the behavioral health piece of this because the pandemic it just doesn't go away when you go when you get off work you go home your kids may or may not be in school that's going to cause stress on the household it's going to cause stress on your kids Um, if you're a two-job household and one of them is not an essential service um, and is either furloughed or off you've got a financial burden and I think Mike you hit it we can't stress enough, use the resources at healingourown.org and the COVID-19 website and page on the CPF website. Brothers and sisters, take care of each other. If you're not sure about how brothers and sisters doing, ask them and make sure that you know the resources available, not only through your fire department, your local union, but also the CPF that can that can help on that. And it's not just 
the men and women on the job. It's their partners. It's their spouses. It's their kids. Now more than ever, we need to we need to watch out for each other. And I think it's important too, Brian. And you brought it up to Dave and Stacy while we were talking to them. Is the CPF here, we're here for all our members. We're here for all the brothers and sisters here in the state of California and everything that they're going through. If members have questions, um, again, I would encourage them to go to our websites. Um, the COVID-19 page is a, is a button. It's a landing page. There's uh, information and resources on there. We go through it. We update it all the time. But also, um, if if our members have questions, they can reach out to us. We're even though currently in the office we're working remotely, we do have people that are checking the the emails, they are checking our phone messages, and we get back to everybody too. So again, I, I would encourage people to reach out to us if they have questions, if they have concerns, and uh, and and we can answer your questions. And if we don't have an immediate answer, we'll we'll get back to you. So again. I think it's been a great conversation. I was truly impressed with the strength of Dave and Stacy and, and Joe yeah. and Nikki. I mean, again, incredible. And and their story, I think it resonates with all of us. We're going to wrap this up, but I'm going to have, as a president, I'm going to have a little bit of an uncomfortable conversation here. We all have different politics, and I respect that. Um, we, we may not agree, and, and that's okay, but as long as we respect each other, the COVID virus is not political. Uh, it's a real health crisis. And the reason I say this to you, our members, is that if you are a professional firefighter, it's not from 8 o'clock to 8 o'clock, 48 hours. It's the rest of your life. You got to do something that very few people in their life will get to do, and that is raise your hand and swear an oath to the Constitution of the United States, the state of California, and your department. And that oath and the re receiving that badge comes with responsibilities. People know who we are. They look up to you. They look to you for advice. They look to you for what you're doing. And I'm asking you, every single member of the California Professional Firefighters, take this seriously. Wear your mask in public. Be an encourager to others wash your hands, do the distancing, because if you do it, people around you will follow you, and guess what happens? Businesses reopen, restaurants start doing outside dining again, salons open, barbers open. That's how we beat this thing, and I'm telling you, as a professional firefighter in the state of California, there is no greater messenger than you. Let's not blow it. I want to thank each and every one of you for listening, both on the job and off. We hope it's informative, and we'll talk to you next time. You can find CPF Firewire at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you find podcasts. Be sure to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. You can also find CPF Firewire at the CPF website, www.cpf.org, and on the CPF YouTube page. We're always interested in getting your feedback, comments, and criticism. Tell us what you'd like to hear about. Drop us a line, info at cpf.org. CPF Firewire is a production of California Professional Firefighters. Our producer is Carol Wills. Our engineer is Matt McDermott. Please join us next month for another edition of CPF Firewire.